Hello and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today we have a special interview recorded by Fred Schenkelberg in January 2016 at the Rams Conference in Orlando, Florida. Fred's guest was Anne-Marie Neufelder, software reliability consultant with SoftRel LLC. Anne-Marie has over 30 years of experience in software engineering in a variety of industries, including electronic systems, semiconductor fabrication equipment, aerospace, and medical systems. Through her work, she's developed the means to predict software defects before the code is even written. Anne-Marie has been a leader in creating the IEEE 1633 standard on recommended practices for software reliability. Her book, Effective Application of Software Failure Modes Effects Analysis, is available from Quantarian Solutions. Let's join Fred's interview with Anne-Marie Neufelder. So welcome to Dare to Know. This is Fred Schenkelberg, and I'm very proud to be sitting across the table from Anne-Marie Neufelder. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. And now we're at Rams Conference, so we'll, we'll wave our hands and say the background noise is because it's a big conference and there's a lot of activity and discussion going on about all kinds of reliability topics. But Anne-Marie, I, I mean, I, it's been years since, since I knew that you were in the software world. And one of the things I've been dying to ask you and, and uh, is, uh, have you seen a change in how people approach the, just even the term software reliability 20 years ago was, oh, mm -hmm. software doesn't have reliability. Whereas that's become, what made that change? Why is it the now, I mean, there's a standard, we'll talk about that coming out or just recently out. There's, uh, uh, you're making a business providing tools and techniques for software mm -hmm. reliability. You have a book out that's on the topic. 20, 25 years ago, there is no audience for that. Yeah, I well, I can tell you a few. The the, mo the primary reason why is 20, 25 years ago, the size of software in terms of line of code, lines of code, was not at the million mark yet. Mm -hmm. There were some systems that were Microsoft, um, right? I imagine <laughs> exactly, but not not too many. And what has happened now is nearly every system is measured in millions of lines of code. And some of them are a multi-million. And um, so what's happened is software, the size of software has grown literally exponentially. Uh, the General Accounting Office has been tracking it for a long time, since the 1960s. And it is certainly exponential. So when the size of something starts to grow exponentially, it will become exponentially more important that you care about it. So 20, 20, 25 years ago, you could get away with saying that was negligible because nobody could really argue with you. But they can't. They can't argue now. That's well, just that, not believable. When you say people care about it, is that translates into customer complaints and field problems? Right, and getting your company's name in the newspaper. Well, um, well, well to, I'm trying to think of the battery issue with Samsung wasn't necessarily a software issue, but mm -hmm. there have been issues that have made news. Do you, right. do you recall any that are oh, software related? Well, I went through nearly all of the major events in my book. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, um, deaths due to software failures, there were 28 in Panama City related to um, healthcare di uh, diagnostics. 
They were over-radiated. There were between 2 and 28 uh, people that died in the 1980s because of Therac-25. Remember that. Yeah, and that, but the, you know, the unfortunate thing that's kind of sad is that was not the last set of over-radiation due to the software. It was only the first. Mm -hmm. There were three deaths um, due to a, a major, major healthcare manufacturer diagnostic system. I won't say who they were, but they've been in the newspaper. Um, then there were, uh, so those are the deaths. There were also two, um, two uh, army soldiers that were killed because um, the artillery system they were using uh, required that the elevation be typed in before the artillery would shoot. Mm -hmm. um, but it had a default value of sea level. And um, on this particular training exercise in, in Fort Hood, um, the a thousand feet elevation. Or something no, or it was it was actually seven hundred and something feet. But right. anyway, the, enough to offset the right. targeting. And for whatever reason, the particular input there's multiple inputs that set the elevation. It wasn't working that day for some reason. So the default value of sea level um, was there, and the fellow was under pressure to shoot mm -hmm. in this exercise, and he did, and, and the artillery went into the mess hall. Oops. That, was, that yeah. was very bad. So that's another two people. There have also been, the one thing I will say on the positive side is that the most reliable software in terms of number of failures is uh, software that's been uh, regulated for, by the FAA for flight worthiness mm -hmm, through mm -hmm. DO 178 B and C. They, there's actually no instances of deaths, at least in my research, on any software that's been certified through but FAA. There's also an abundance of caution. I understand <laughs> Sunday yes. they pretty much shut down United for some software error on, mm -hmm. <laughs> on their flight system. Yeah, <laughs> there's software that does their, their ground activities that make sure the airplanes are in the same place. But specifically, the ones that are flight worthy, right. flight worthiness related, and the reason why their their uh, their incident rate is so low is because the DO one seventy eight certification requires that every line of code be tested as well as every branch and logic. So when you do that, you're gonna you're gonna really get the defects out of the software, and you don't see it in. Less uh, severe consequence situation, no. just because of the expense and the, and the, well, the, the consequence yeah. isn't there. If, uh, if my iPhone doesn't boot up because right. of the software problem, nobody dies. So. That's right. And, um, but there are applications. There are some applications that should be applying DO 178C and are not just because they're not legally required. That's right. It's unfortunate. There's still the consequences are there. Yeah, they're just taking the risks. So. That's right. So let's switch over to the. Is this the first? international standard or standard on software reliability? Well, um, the first, the IEEE 1633 was first released in 2008. Okay. And so then um, it was revised. I remember that. It was basically just taking a risk that we're going to start this conversation. Right. Yep. And um, so without going into too much detail, the document didn't have a lot of practical application like step one, step two, step three. Right, it defined terms and said, yeah, do software reliability. Right. And that was, was kind of it. So when I was asked to chair the working group to rewrite it, um, I've, 
I, the couple of changes that I made was one, I made sure there was a lot of people in industry. Mm -hmm. um, you the, had like 30 or 40 people, if I remember right. 70. 70, yeah, okay. So 70. Well, did you get all 70 to participate actively? or did, uh, uh, Well, some of those people had dropped out because they retired or things right. like that. But we ended up with quite a crowd at the end. But Good. basically what I did is I made two teams, the writers and the reviewers. Mm -hmm. And the reviewers were intentionally people who knew the least about software reliability. The idea being if, if they can read it and understand it, we've done our job. That's so clever. We did incremental development. We would come up with a concept, they'd look at it and say mm -hmm. yes, no. They were engaged throughout the whole thing. And the nice thing about the reviewers is they had this huge background in, in what was important to them. So by the time we were done, you know, it, it met everybody's needs. And um, it was the first IEEE document that I'm aware of that passed the first ballot 100% approval. Excellent. So we, and it was from getting everyone together who mm -hmm. has a stake, you know, a stakeholder. Well, that's kind of the, the theory anyway, and you made it practical as actually doing it for these international standards and making right. it useful. And from what I understand, it's, it's, it was approved a few months ago, and it's mm -hmm. now online. And it's ready, yes. ready to purchase and ready to apply. And mm -hmm. so. as of six days ago, it's now on the IEEE site. Okay, we'll we'll add a, a link to where you, people can find it and so on. Are, are there other ways people can get that information? To, there are similar information about if they want to approach that, to, to, or is that um, really the best? Um, that's. You know, the nice thing about the IEEE document is that it covers a lot of different things. Now, because it covers a lot of different things, we don't cover everything. Right. And, um, and so it's a nice place to get started, and it tells you what things are relevant for your product. And then from there, if you want to go deeper, there's different areas to do that. So my book is one of them, Software Failure Mode Effects Analysis. It's definitely one thing that, right. that they we'll can get. And we'll add that link and connection to, to find okay. And is it available in all the local bookstores? And uh, actually, <laughs> or, it's... Or on Amazon, at least? It's not on Amazon uh, and probably won't be, but Quantarian uh, Solutions Incorporated is the publisher. Okay. So it's on both their website and mine. Okay. And um, so... That's the best place to get it, okay. those two places. I don't know if anyone else is distributing it. Okay. And um, so that's one, one area. Now there's, there's a couple of sections of the document. The failure mode section, definitely that book is, is a, for $125, just not gonna get a better deal. Right, right. And then, well, unless you're sitting across the table from you and yeah, well, <laughs> you read, but it might be a quicker read because yes, you've got it's a, a lot of experience. Read. And so then the other aspects of the document are predictions that are done early. This is a real, something people really, really wanted. Our stakeholders said, we've got to have this. We mm -hmm. need to know during the proposal phase what we're looking at. So in that area, there's, the models range from really simple to really detailed. The really simple models got into the normative section of the document. Right. So they're, they're basically given away for free, the simplest. And then the more detailed models were summarized in the appendix. So for all of those, there's, you know, whoever developed that model is, is selling it in some way. So in, in my experience, when you mention a model, I'm thinking of the Arrhenius rate equation and, you know, physics of failure type models. Are you talking about models uh, for software prediction 
the Carnegie Mellon software, I'm trying to remember the, the name. SCI. SCI. Is that a kind of model that you would tap into? Uh, sort of. The SCI CMMI assessment is an assessment that's not actually quantitative. Your output is uh, from one to five, with five being the best. Right. But that assessment can be used to predict software reliability. Okay. And that's the simplest of all models. And those tables, so for example, at level one, your defect density is something. Right. At level five, that's something that's a lot smart, smaller. It's also predictable or stable. Like the level five folks, when I, the ones I've worked with is, you know, they say, here's our his history of defect density, and we're going to get pretty close to that again. Well, that's a key point. They actually know what it is. Right. Yeah. Whereas at level one, they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I that's don't even right. know what defect density is. So, yeah, that's the simplest. Now, the only problem with that is it's only at levels three, four, and five that the variation is small. Right. So if the company's at level one, you could have just as easily picked a number out of a hat. We call that MTBF ourselves, but. Yeah, <laughs> right. So yes, I know, I know your opinion on that. But anyway, so, and the problem with the CMMI level is it only takes into account one parameter and that's the process. It doesn't take into account the product. Right. How big is it, how complex? It doesn't take into account where people are when that's they're writing right. the software. So it's accuracy, it's, the, the easiest model to use, but out of the, the group of models, it's the least accurate. Okay. So then there's other assessments, like for, there's one assessment that I developed that has 22 questions. Okay. And that was intentionally developed for acquisitions people because you have, you, you know something about what you should have, you just don't know all the details on how it's being developed. Right. So that, and then those two models are in the document. Then there's more detailed models that dive into more detailed things like um, it, it covers people, techniques, process, organization, management, and the management things are things that actually are not found in the SEI CMMI model. Right, right. So, so it covers, and those models range from 95 questions to 300. If you answer more questions, you'll have a more more, a little more detail. Yeah, a little more you. detail. Those are not shown in the IEEE document. If you want those, they can be purchased. Now, is there a way to, you're working with a development team and you're, they're cranking out code and doing the verification runs and all these different activities. Is there a way to tell if you're finding enough defects or fixing, when, how do you yes. know when you're done? Well, um, there are two different trends that can tell you, well, there's at least two different trends that'll tell you if you're getting close. Number one, if your, your rate of failure starts to decrease, you can plot it and you can actually see over time right. that it's approaching zero. Right. There's two different ways to Isn't see that. Isn't it like a Dwayne plot? He, but he used the log-log yeah. plot. If you do it just on normal scale, time versus cumulative count, you can see right. that pretty quickly. Yes, well, you don't need to have the Duane scale. In fact, it's been shown that the Duane growth might, might not be the right shape okay. for software because with an exponential model, um, you can see at the beginning, the failure rate's terrible, and at the end, it's really, really good. Mm -hmm. With the Duane model, it actually is inverted in that it gets 
good early and then flat, flattens off. That's not exactly what we see. Right, happening. right. Okay, so there's those couple different ways to yes. do it. Are those in the standard or in yes. your book? In the, the standard? Yes, in fact, in the section 5.5 of the standard, we have how to, do, how to know when your software is ready, not just to be perfect, that, that's, that's not always the objective, but just to be at a certain level of reliability. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so those plots are actually step one. So for example, if the failure rate's increasing, you don't need to go to step two. Right, you're not done yet. Right, you're not <laughs> done yet. And you'd be shocked at how many people release software without even bothering well, to measure a, that. But there's a huge phenomena I've seen in teams where they say, well, we can fix that later. We have to get the hardware right. Mm -hmm. We don't want to do a recall, yet we can send a patch out. And it, did Microsoft teach us that Tuesday morning we just have to reboot and, and update the software? Is that I don't a think phenomenon? We can bl I don't think we can blame them entirely. Okay, I think, I I think what like we can blame, <laughs> we can blame. Honestly, I'm just going to put it right out there. It's a community of engineers who just doesn't really care. Really? Yeah, that's what I believe. Yeah. Or, or either that or they're overly confident. Maybe overly confidence bigger. Well, we talked to. Oh, I'm I'm drawing. A, oh, uh, Dan Deans. He was the general chair at the conference. I think last year or two years ago. And when we sat down and interviewed him, he said that uh, design engineers, mechanical software, the engineers that are they're inventing things and developing things, is they they work from a success space. They're working to make something work. Right. They're solving a solution, a problem, to, mm -hmm. and developing something that delivers a function. Now, the, the reliability folks, we walk into the room and we work in a failure space. Right. And he says, and, and you've seen this, is where if you come in and tell them how bad everything is, it's a non-starter. Nobody wants to talk to you because you're yeah. calling their baby ugly at that point. Yeah, I do think you're right. They, software engineers never ever see the failure space, even when they get hit over the head with it time after time after time after time. <laughs> but, you know, I, the only thing I can say is that one of the things I will say in defense of the software community is that up until this IEEE standard came out, a lot of the guidance on software reliability was developed in an academic space. That's so right. they had perfect data, models that are way too complicated to ever be useful. That's right. That's and right. so they drove away people from the concept because they made it too difficult. And what the IEEE document does is the 2016 edition, I specify, is that it makes it clear what you're doing. Right. Okay, now I see this failure rate thing isn't that hard to measure. That's right. So That's right. No, that's. Uh, I'm very happy that it's out because I, I know it's it's got your touch on it to Thank make it you. very practical and very useful. And um, so let's say you're you're working with um, a piece of advice for say a program manager or a new software reliability. Somebody is assigned reliability for their software team. I mean the standard sounds like a, a the guidebook basically mm -hmm, to get started. Is. Where else can they get uh, information or training and, and come up to speed with the all these tools and and how to uh, apply them. Well, everything that's in the IEEE standard plus more is in, uh, is in two of my training classes. One of them helps you predict software failure rates or any metric. It could be anything availability. Um, the one tool for estimate predicts that. Um, then I have a training class that also covers that. So the okay. training class would include the guidance from the IEEE 
It would include the tool, which I do in my classes. I give away a, an inexpensive um, uh, spreadsheet version of the tool. Okay. And then as far as the software for me is, I have a training class for that, and I have a tool that it, the tool and the book actually go together. Right, right. The the book's kind of the user manual for the tool. And I also have a third training class that covers integrating software reliability with hardware. And that's a really important thing. Um, so well, the hardware guys, well, software will fix it later and, right. <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah. <laughs> what I think, what I really see happening is what's called the leftover model. Okay. Where a lot of the hardware reliability prediction tools, they have a 5% buffer. And what a lot of reliability engineers do is they get the software that 5%. Well, the problem is in my data, the software is anywhere from 33%, and I've actually been tracking this, to as much as 100% of the failed failures. Right. It, what's amazing to me is the, the, we have that data. It's in the call center. It's, it's, we have it coming back to us, yet it breaks down from the traditional failure analysis thing is we don't have a cadaver. We don't have a broken device right. to go fix. And this, They're thinking of it in terms of wear out and physical wear out. That's right, or, or yet uh, the interface alone can be causing failures and it's right. meeting all of the specifications. There's an error in the specification or an error in the requirements document. And, and right. those are not unique to software, but more important in the software functionality. Right. So it's. There's a bunch of retraining, and as our mm -hmm. vehicles get smarter and smarter and more and more software yeah. on it, it's not that I can't get Pandora in my, in my car with an error, it drives off the road. Right, <laughs> it's in the software. transmission. That's right. Yeah, and brakes, and um, All kinds pretty, of soon, pretty soon it'll be driverless automobiles, so wow. if anyone thinks they can ignore it then, they, they're in for a red surprise. That's right. Yet it, I think you've got a, a line onto a much a growing enterprise, and I think the standard will probably just facilitate that and get more awareness out that there's real practical ways to go do this mm -hmm. stuff. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I think you're going to be, have a, a long career ahead of you. Yeah, I hope all those so. Folks. <laughs> it should well, work out. My biggest rule on the IEEE document, I said, no formulas that can't be plugged into a calculator. So if you can hit that, then you've hit the goal of making it simple. That's right. No, so. no uh, nonlinear regression techniques right. and numerical analysis. And exactly. <laughs> that's what I do. That's not what the end user should be doing. That's right. So. That's right. No, well, thank you so much for sitting down with me, Anne-Marie. Thank you. Uh, and how, the best way for people to get a hold of you is at softrel.com? Yes. Uh, S-O-F-T-R-E-L.com. Okay. And uh, pretty much everything's out there, my email and everything else. That's right. Uh, well, we'll make sure we'll put all that in the show notes. And, and if for the audience, you know, please feel free to get, if you've got questions about software or you're looking what the next steps are, I mean, the standard is a good start, but also cruise over to softwarel.com and see what's available there and touch base with Anne-Marie. And you can learn a lot real quick, I'm sure. Thank you. <laughs> so, thank you. <laughs>